Hi, this is Pastor Curtis. I want to thank you for checking out the Family Church Podcast. I hope it encourages you and inspires you to take your next step of faith. You can find out more about how to do that at our website, familychurch.xyz. And if you know a friend who needs to hear this message, please forward it on to them. I hope you enjoy the message. will recognize that, that they're just tests and lean into God during those difficult times, trust his process, uh, we'll be better off on the other side of the trial. Because if we don't quit, we win. If we don't quit, we win. But how do we do that, Pastor? How, how do we lean into God when we're going through trials? Because oftentimes when we're going through a difficult time, and depending on how difficult it is, uh, that's the last thing we want to do is lean into God, right? Because, you know, we're hurt, you know, we're, we're, we don't understand, we've got questions, and I get it, I, I, I get it, and James gets it too. He understands it, man, sometimes trials, they have a tendency to push us away from God, and that's the absolute worst thing that you could do. Now, granted, I'm, I'm going to be honest, you might not get all your questions answered this side of heaven, but I guarantee you this, if you'll lean into God during your trial, now I don't care how tragic, how bad it was, I guarantee you if you lean into God, you'll be better on the other side of that. You'll be better on the other side of that. James understands that too, because of the first part of the, after talking about trials and temptations, uh, he says, now this is what we do. This is what we do. You, 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 you need to, after you find, once you find yourself in a storm, Here's what you need to do. So let's pick up at verse 18. All right, after, after talking about trials and temptations and the purpose of them, he tells us how we can lean into God when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. He chose, verse 18, he chose to give us birth through, and here's our topic for the day. Here's, here's the secret to persevering through trials and temptation. The word of truth. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Now watch closely, because five times over the next few verses, James is going to mention God's word. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits. I'll come back to that phrase in just a few minutes of all he created. Verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Whoa. Wow, James, tell us what you really mean. Kind of gets right to the point there, doesn't he? Get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word. Second time, second time he mentions the word planted in you, which can save you. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the third time word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says, verses 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the Word, fourth time he talks to me, fourth time he mentioned it, but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Verse 25, but whoever looks intently into the, and here's the fifth time James mentions the word, but he calls it God's perfect law, but he's talking about the word. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, the word that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Five times, dear ones, five times, James highlights the power of the Bible, God's word to help us when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, when we're going through a trial and temptation. 
and how God's blessing when we're going through trials and temptations is connected to our attitude towards God's word. And then in this next verse, and and this is vintage James again, as, as he tells it like it is, verse 26. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Oh, how about we have an altar call right now, huh? We're going to come back to that, talking about the tongue. So I want to make sure you're here for that. James talks more about the power of the tongue later. And, 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 and if we're not careful, if we're not careful, this can get us into trouble. But we'll, we'll revisit that when we get to chapter 3. But five times in this first chapter, James warns us against being deceived about how much power there is in God's Word. Because remember, he's writing to a church that's been scattered. He's writing to a church that's, that's bruised and battered and, and, and they've got questions and they're scared. They can't meet. A lot of them are, are suffering doubt. A lot of them have been physically persecuted. Um, so he, he's writing to a, a, a very uh, scared and concerned and hurt church. Back up in verse 2, he talks about how their wavering faith and doubt has caused many of them to be tossed around like a ship at sea in a storm. And so James is trying to throw them a life. He said, here, I'm throwing you a life jacket. I know you're in the mist. I know you're in the storm right now, but here, I'm trying to throw you a life jacket, an anchor. And that anchor is God's word. He's reminding them that there is power in God's word, which leads us to our big idea for this morning's message, which is this. The one thing that you should do when going through a trial or difficult time is stay connected to God's word. Stay connected to the Bible. And by connected, I'm talking about not just reading it, but believing it, doing it. Doing it. That's what James said. Be doers of the word, not just readers only, hearers only. You know, the ironic thing is the devil knows how much better your life would be if you read and applied God's word to your life. Did you know that? He does. That's why from the very beginning, Satan has tried to cast doubt on God's word. In fact, his think about this. His very first recorded words, Satan's very first recorded words, was when he posed this question to Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3, verse 1. First time recorded words of Satan. Did God really say? Did God really say? One, one of the principles of Bible study is called the law of first usage. Um, how is that truth or that word or that concept first used in the scriptures? Because, because that will often dictate how that truth or word or concept is used and how it is to be applied throughout the rest of the Bible. And this is certainly true here when we see how the very first words out of Satan's mouth are directed at casting doubt on God's word. He wants you he wants to make you think that there's no power in God's word or that God's word isn't true or, or there's too much confusion in God's word. It, it's not accurate, it's got too many inconsistencies, too many discrepancies or or you know, the, the Bible's just a bunch of fairy tales and 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 bogus miracles. No, 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 no. See, if the Bible were a fairy tale, it would start out this way, once upon a time in a land far, far away. But it doesn't start that way, does it? It starts out, matter of fact, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. God's word is the single most important thing you need to survive in this life. But we're living, we're living in a day and age where many people think that they know more than God. And here's some disturbing Bible reading statistics. 34% of U.S. adults read the Bible once a week or more. 50% of U.S. adults read the Bible less than twice a year. 16% of U.S. adults read the Bible more than twice a year, but not on a weekly basis. Clearly, we're living in a a day and age in a culture where people think they know more than God, a culture that 
in its own way, is posing that same question Satan posed to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Did he really say that? A culture that downplays or or, or flat out, in some cases, just flat out denies the miracles in the Bible. A culture that views the Bible as archaic, old-fashioned, out of touch, you know, with society today, today. All those restrictions, all those thou shalt not. Come on, doesn't God want me to be happy? No. Sorry, didn't mean to burst your bubble. God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. And in our pursuit of holiness, then he gives us joy. And yeah, maybe occasional happiness. But remember, we've already talked about happiness. Happiness is fleeting. God doesn't want you happy. He wants you holy. Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. You know, there was a time uh, in my ministry where I really felt like I had to uh, defend uh, the Bible or, or, or prove to people that, no, 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 it, it really works. If you would just read the Bible, it, 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 really, it really does work. But then I realized at some point that, you know, I, I don't really need to defend God's Word. You know what? Because life itself, will point people back to God's word. It will. You want to walk away from God, do life on your own terms? Go for it. I mean, I don't want you to, but I'm just telling you, go for it because we'll leave the light on when you come back. You'll be back. You cannot navigate life on your own strength. It's not going to happen. Peter had it right in John chapter 6 after that big miracle feeding of the 5,000. And Jesus basically called, he drew a line in the sand. And he said, y'all are just following me because you're getting your bellies full and you like, you know, the trick and pony show with the miracles. So he drew a line in the sand. And one of the saddest verses in the New Testament, it said, from that point on, many did not follow him anymore. Amazing. That was on the heels of a miracle. At that point, after all these people had walked away, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, are you guys going to leave too? Classic line by Peter. Peter said this. He says, where else are we going to go, Lord? You have the words of life. You have the word. Where, where are we going to go? You know what? In a weird way, God, God kind of ruins us for being good sinners, doesn't he? You can't even backslide and enjoy it anymore, can you? Because you know it's not right. right? So James is trying to, to tell us how important our attitude towards God's word is, really all the time, but especially when we're going through a trial, especially when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm. And by directing us back to God's word, James is basically posing this question to us. What's going to be the basis for how I live my life? What's going to be the basis for how I live my life? The world in my way or the word in God's way? When you find yourself in a difficult, tough, or even tragic place, Knowing what you know, who are you going to look to? Who are you going to trust to see you through that that dark place in a way that will grow your faith, draw you closer to God, and make your life better and make you better at life? Are you going to look to the world or to the Word? The psalmist said this in Psalm 119, verse 81. My soul is weak from waiting for you to save me. My hope is based on your Word. By the way, it's interesting to note that uh, Psalm 119, longest chapter in the Bible, 176 verses. And it just so happens, think about this, it just so happens that the entire chapter is talking about the Bible. All of Psalm 119 is talking about the Word of God. 
The long, think about it, the longest chapter in the Bible is talking about the Bible. Gosh, you'd almost think that God was trying to get a point across there, right? Here, David cries out to God during one of his trials. We're not told specifically what it was, but we know it must have been life-threatening because he used the phrase, save me, save me. In other words, David's saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going through a storm right now, but, but I'm anchored to your word, God. I'm anchored to your word. I don't have to tell you this. You, you don't have to go looking for trouble. You don't have to go looking for trials. They just, trouble and trials show up on our doorstep, don't they? We can't control that, but we can control how we're going to respond when we find ourselves in one of these storms of life. According to Jesus, there's no greater resources to help us through trials and troubles successfully than looking to God's word, Matthew 7, 24 and 25. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, does them, hears them and does them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall. Why? Because it had its foundation on the word, the rock. One thing that I pray for you, for this church, and, and for me, I pray this for me as well, almost daily is that God would, would give us more of a hunger and thirst for his word. Because I want you to come to the place where, where you approach reading your Bible, not as a task, not as something to just, you know, check, check the box, you know, say, well, I got that done. But, but as, as actually looking forward to spending that time reading your word, anticipating that God's going to speak to you. Because guess what? If you believe God's going to speak to you when you read the word, guess what? He will. He will honor that. He will honor that. And so James, James is trying to redirect these people, these Christians, who were, who were caught up in a storm. He's trying to redirect them back to the Word. Because sometimes it's easy to lose sight of that when we're caught up in the storm, right? He's trying to, kind of like you know your GPS. When you go past a turn, what does it say? Recalculate. Make a U-turn in 300 feet. That's what James is doing here. He said, no, no, get back. Just get back to the Word. Get back to the Word. So, he gives us three attitudes that we need to have in order to gain the most out of God's word when we're going through trials and temptations. And the first thing he says is he says, be grateful about the fact that the truth of God's word saves you. Gratefully, first attitude, gratefully receive the truth that saves me. Now, we know that Jesus is the one that saves, but we know that because of his word, okay? We know that because of his word. Verses 16 and 17, James 1. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So James is very clear about God's attitude towards us here. James tells us that God is, is for us. He's for us. He's not against us. And when he asks you to follow me, he's, he's not asking you to live a bored, restricted, bummer of a life where you have to give up all the fun stuff in order to make it to heaven. <laughs> Anyone ever think that way? I used to think that way, you know? I, I used to think that way. I mean, I, I appreciate the Southern Baptist Church that I attended as a kid because, that you know, they, they preached the Word, and that's where I actually first accepted Christ. Uh, but looking back, you know, they, they kind of had their own issues because they, they were a little bit legalistic. They, they tended to identify themselves by some of the things that they didn't do. Anyone ever go to a church that identified themselves by what they didn't do? probably more so in the south than up here, but, uh, you know, there are churches that, uh, they, and they will, they will proudly put it on their sign, uh, the only Bible that they use is the King James only, King James Version only. You know why? Because that's the one Paul used. 
my wife got that. She's the only one that got that. That was a joke. That was a joke. But but seriously, they're, they're, her, her, we, we go visit her folks. And again, this is this is more prevalent in the South. That that Bible Baptist Church, King James. It says on the sign. I always thought about taking an NIV in there. I don't know if they kicked me out or what. But how ludicrous is that? And I know they've got their reasons. But you know, you realize that those were the kind of people that Jesus butted heads with more than anyone else. Those religious people that were so caught up in, you know, Jesus, don't do this and don't do that, right? You know that there are churches that will, when they baptize you, they, they, they baptize in the name of Jesus only. Because you know, typically in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. No, there are churches that, no, 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 it's the name of Jesus only. Right? Boy, how much of a shocker would that be to get up there before the judgment seat? Get ready, think you're going to get into heaven. And Jesus says, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> Sorry, I can't let you in. Why, Jesus? Well, you didn't hear this because you were underwater, but when they baptized you, they baptized you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit, and so I can't let you in. <laughs> I know, when you hear it like that, you, you, you understand how stupid and ludicrous this is. Right? We don't smoke, we don't chew, we don't run with those who do. You realize that two of the three schools that I attended, to train for ministry, Jesus could not have attended. He could not have attended. Because he had a beard. Oral Roberts University. It's, it's, it's different now. I know they've changed their policy. Christ for the Nations, Oral Roberts University, where I went to seminary. When I attended, you could not have a beard at either one of those schools. So, sorry, Jesus, we can't let you in. <laughs> right? No, no, no. God's not like that. God's got nothing but perfect gifts for you. Serving God's not a duty. It's a delight. It's a delight. James 1.18. He chose to give us birth rebirth, born again through the word of truth that we might be kind of a first fruits of all he created. All right, let's talk about that word first fruit. What, what, what's James talking about there? Well, remember, James wrote this at a time in history where the economy was agriculturally driven. So, so commodities were at times used as currency. So at harvest time, as an act of worship to God, people would tithe 10%, take 10% of their crops off the top and, and bring that to God as an act of worship. And that, that commodity was called their first fruits. The tithe, listen, the tithe has nothing to do with amounts of money. The church has, unfortunately, the church has made it that way over the years. But it wasn't that way from the beginning. From the beginning, the tithe has always been about priority. It's about your priorities, not, not, not the money. It's remembering to acknowledge who our source really is and, and, and honoring him accordingly. It's about giving our best because he gave his best to us. See, that's, that's why you're sitting here right now. That's why you're in here right now. We give God the first fruits of our week, the first day of the week. By coming here each Sunday morning, you are giving God your first fruits of your time. But here's the deal. You don't come here because you have to, at least I hope not. You don't come here because you have to. You come here because you want to. You come here because as an act of worship to give back to God. It's just some of what he has given to you. It's an attitude change. It's an attitude change. That's what James is saying here. So we shouldn't have the mindset of, well, now that I'm a Christian, I guess I, I, I won't sin anymore. I mean, I really want to, but I don't want to go to hell. So I, I, you know, what, what am I going to do here? Right? No, no, no. First fruits is willingly, gladly giving God every part of my life as an act of thanks and worship for what he's done for me. There's an old hymn that says, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, 
And then it, the, the hymn concludes with this line here. This is a great line. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. It's about attitude. It's about the heart. It's about our attitude towards worship. Then James pivots here. He says, now once you've gotten saved, the next thing that you need to do is, and this is the second attitude, humbly accept the truth that confronts me. Interesting that that James used the word humbly here. He's confronting the pride that resides in all of us. Pride that can actually distort and warp our view of God's word. Pride that prevents us from applying certain parts of God's word to our lives because, well, I know it's in the Bible, but, you know, that was written 2,000 years ago. And, uh, you know, some of that stuff, I could see how it would apply today, but some of that stuff is, is no, that, 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 that certainly doesn't apply to me today, right? James confronts that head on and gets right up in our grill in these next couple of verses in verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. None of us do that. Slow to speak. None of us do that. And slow to become angry. None of us do that. Verse 20, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Verse 21, therefore, get rid of all moral filth. Again, James, tell us how you really feel, right? Get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. James says, look, don't think you're the keeper of the truth. God is the keeper of the truth. He's not, God isn't just the keeper of the truth. He is truth. God is truth. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's only one keeper of the truth, and that's Jesus Christ. See, we're living in a day and age where pride has led some people to think that they're keepers of the truth. And sadly, sadly, quite often these are pastors. These are pastors that that have this mindset. I had a pastor a while back accuse me of being a false prophet. His exact words were that I grossly misrepresented the gospel of Christ. So when I heard that, it it, it hurt. It it, it cut pretty deep. And so I reached out to this, this pastor on the basis of Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Jesus says, hey, if you come to worship and remember that your brother has ought against you, First, go to them, be reconciled, and then come and, and, and worship. So I reached out to this pastor, having heard that this accusation was made, and uh, to, to try and you know, reconcile. Uh, that was 16 months ago. Crickets. Nothing. Haven't heard a thing. I, I've seen the person. <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. And to me, honestly, I, yeah, I mean, that, that bothered me, but honestly, I'm moving on. The thing that concerns me is that a pastor would be allowed to make an accusation like that and not be held accountable for it. That's the part that kind of disturbs me. Anyway, Romans 3, verse 4. Let God be true and every human being a liar. God, listen, God alone is the keeper of the truth, people. God alone is the keeper of truth. Here's my point. There's going to be times when you're going to be reading the Bible and you're going to come across uh, something you're going to think, I don't know if I want to do that, or, or you know, I don't know if I agree with that. And at that point, you have a decision to make, right? And James tells us that it really doesn't matter what you think. That's what he, It doesn't matter what you think, right? It, it, it's truth, and you need to humbly accept it. 
all you people who pick and choose what parts of the Bible you want to believe and what parts you don't want to believe, let me remind you that God, by definition, God determines what is truth. God is the one who decides what's wrong and what's right, right? Pastor, author, and theologian Tim Keller, who just recently went home to be with the Lord, said this powerful statement. He said, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. Ouch. Ouch. So those times you're reading the Word, come across something that you, you're not sure about, maybe have some doubts about it, and you're thinking, ah, I don't know if I believe that or not. I don't know if I want to live like this. James says, no, 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 no. You, you better humbly accept that as truth because that's what it is. That's his word. That word accept in, in, in the original language, the, the, the English transliteration would spell out decamai is how you pronounce it. The word was used to describe when people would accept someone into their home. Like, like if someone, like a stranger, even a stranger, someone shows up on your doorstep one day uh, and, and you're not sure if you should let them in or not but you decide to go ahead and, and let them into your house. And you might not even know the person. You have no idea what the conversation is going to be like, but you go ahead and, and receive them into your home and you welcome them. James tells us that when you read God's word, there will be times it will smack you right upside the head with truth. And James tells us when that happens, you need to humbly open and receive and welcome that truth into your life. Paul used the same word that James used here. Paul used the same word decamai in his letter to the church at Thessalonica. Let's read it. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you decamai, you accept, you welcomed it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God which is indeed at work. By the way, if you don't welcome and receive God's word, it can't work inside of you. But as it's actually the word of God, receive the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. The mark of a God-changed heart is that I like God telling me how to live. You want to know if God's really got a hold of your heart? Then do you really like God when do you really like the word when it even when it presses in on you, even when it kind of stings a little bit? I receive the word, I receive it as the word of God that, that's, I receive it as the word of God that saves me. I humbly accept it even when it confronts me. And then the third attitude that James mentions here, I intently embrace the truth that guides me, intently, intently. In other words, you watch it closely. You, you're locked in on it. You, you're, you're focused on it. Verse 22, James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Now, don't just be a church attender. Don't just be a church consumer. Be a contributor. And the way you contribute is when you do what it says. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Verse 23, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror. And this is really interesting how James likens the word, likens the Bible to a mirror. And after, verse 24, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Question. How many of you have ever walked by a mirror and, uh, you know, maybe, you know, halfway through the day, maybe at lunch or something, and you look at it and you got like this hair kind of sticking up or maybe you got a, a, a hanger off the side of the nose there or, 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 or maybe, I don't know, aren't you glad you came to church today? Aren't you getting, 
or, 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 or maybe you got a piece of kale on one of the, t- you know, and you're like, how come someone didn't tell me, right? The other day, Sue and I were going somewhere, driving down the road, and Sue's, as she always does, when we get into the car, she'll pull down that visor and because it's got, you know, the lights. And, and in fairness, I did change our light bulbs, but we have poor lighting in our, in our restroom, so it's kind of hard to see. So usually when we go somewhere, the first thing she'll do is she'll pull that mirror down and kind of look, you know. So we're driving down the road, and she pulls that mirror down, and I hear this, huh? What? What? Why? Why didn't you tell me? Tell you what? About that hair on my chin. Well, normally, all right, uh, my answer is, well, I didn't tell you because I didn't see it, you know. Uh, but uh, this time <laughs> she asked me, I ain't going to lie. <laughs> that puppy was quarter inch, I think she said. So she, I, I said, oh, no, no, honey. I said, oh, it's not that bad. That couldn't be more than three sixteenths of an inch. <laughs> Trying to help her out there, you know. But, but uh, here's the deal. Once we see it in the mirror... Once we see it in the mirror, right? Once we see that in God's word, we have a choice to make. Are we going to pluck that puppy out? Are we going to leave the greenie hanging there? Are we going to leave that thing on our tooth? What are you going to do? Right? It's an attitude, dear ones. It's about our attitude because sometimes we forget what we look like. In other words, we forget that conviction of the Holy Spirit when God's trying to speak to us about something he's wanting to change in our lives. Next verse, verse 25. But whoever looks intently, this is, this is the same word that, that was used to describe Peter, that first resurrection, that first Easter morning uh, after Jesus was resurrected. You know, John and him, they're running out to the grave. It, it, it's described how they're both running out there. Uh, and and it, it didn't say that when Peter got there, it doesn't say that he casually walked by and glanced and said, well, I guess no one's in there. No, no, no. It says when he got to the tomb, it says that he bent over and it says he looked intently inside the tomb. I mean, he was focused. He was focused, right, on what was or rather what wasn't, who wasn't in the tomb because Jesus wasn't there. Each morning, whatever your morning routine looks like, at some point, you need to get your cup of coffee, open up your Bible, and look intently into the Word. Look in that mirror. Okay, God, what, what, what do you want to change in me today? What do you want to change in me today? And then be willing to obey whatever He tells you to do. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Again, James underscores the fact that the transformation power of God's word isn't just in reading it, but in doing it. So real quick, here are some practical suggestions to help you begin looking intently into God's word. Number one, consider getting or using your paper Bible. Consider if, 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 you, if you don't, I mean, I get it. I mean, I, most of the time I'll use the Bible, you know, version Bible app, electronic device. But when it comes to my quiet time with the God, I, I do. I kick it old school. I get my old Bible. And, and that way, and then, little, you know, then you can just kind of journal and take notes. Before the 8 o'clock service, I was talking with Kay Lynn. She showed me this Bible that she got, and book of James, James chapter 1, and she had written all these notes. And I'm like, yes, that's what I want for all of us during this series. I want all of us to come to that place where we'll do what Kay Lynn did. Get that Bible out, read it, get laser focused on it. Be open to hear if God says something to you. Write that down. Because look, 
if, if, if you approach reading your word, believing that God's going to speak to you, guess what? He will. He will. And when he does, write it down. Jot it down. Right? So, consider using your paper Bible. Set aside the time to read and study and meditate on the word. Uh, have a Bible reading plan. And I'll be honest, you are without... There, there's no excuse for not having a Bible reading plan in this day and age. I mean, it's at your fingertips, right? It is so stinking easy to get a Bible reading plan. So do it. Do it. Get on some type of writing Bible reading plan. And then don't just read the Bible. Let the Bible read you. How? How do we let the Bible read us? Just ask God. God, what do you want to say to me today? What, what, what's the mirror trying to show me today? What, what areas of my life need to be plucked away or wiped off or, or, or done away with, Lord? What areas of, our, of my life are you wanting to change me and make me more like you? Bow your heads and let me pray for you. Father, I do pray that you would give everyone here this morning more of a hunger and thirst for your word. As people fall more in love with your word, help them build the foundation of their life on your word. Draw them closer to you. Use them, use them more in your service, in your kingdom, Lord. And for those that are here this morning, maybe going through their own storm right now, I pray, Father, that, that they would look to the anchor of your word to bring stability and calm and peace and comfort as they're going through that storm. The assurance of your presence in the midst of that storm, Lord. Do that for them, Lord. And while your heads are still bowed, if you're here this morning, maybe you got convicted by the word as I was sharing. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you used to be. But you're not in a personal relationship with God right now. The point being, there's that separation from God, and you know it. If that's you, it would be my honor to lead you in a prayer where you can come to or come back to God, the same God who lets you call him Heavenly Father. So if you would just pray this simple prayer, say, Jesus, I recognize my need for you. I know my life's broken and I can't fix it. So I surrender my life and my heart to you right now. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins. And right now, I give my life to you and I receive your life in return. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me begin living my life for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.